right. Well, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Jeff. I'm the assistant pastor here. Uh, pastor Joe, uh, his story is that he and Pastor Janice are on vacation. They're married. Don't worry. That, that's a good thing. Um, that's his story. I'm pretty sure it has something to do with this kickball rivalry thing. He's not really let it go uh, all week, but no, uh, there we are. We're, we're going to do this thing today. Um, I'm excited because we're not in a series right now, and uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with being around here, it means that we can kind of go, when you're given the assignment to teach, you can go wherever you want, whatever's been on your heart, whatever's been on your mind lately, and so that's where I want to go with you is just something I've been thinking about lately. I've been thinking about church, right? Yeah, I know, go figure. Uh, but I've been thinking about like the church, like throughout time and history and thinking about the, the different denominations and the different expressions of faith and all that kind of stuff. And I, I've just been thinking about it a lot. So I don't know about you, but for me personally, I've been to a number of different churches over the course of my life. Uh, when I was growing up, the first church that I remember going to uh, was a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. It's actually now known as Journey Community Church across town off of Barnes Mill. That's where I remember going to Sunday school. That's where I remember going to youth group. That's where I remember being on my dad's shoulders during the music and looking at the lady that I had a crush on and having to shyly turn away and all that. But we went there for a number of years and then we went on a little uh, hiatus and we went to this little church in Berea called River of Life Foursquare Church. Now that place is still very near and dear to me uh, because I spent about nine years there in total. The pastor of that church officiated mine and my wife's wedding. He's been a dear friend and mentor of mine over the course of a number of years. That's where I learned how to teach, how to preach, how to, uh, <clears throat> how to lead worship. I spent time doing children's ministry. I was the janitor there for a little while. Like that was, that was my place uh, where I grew up. And interestingly, if you happen to be into a little bit of history of church movement, uh, the Foursquare, uh, it's not a domination, or maybe it is, I don't know, but Foursquare is kind of like a spiritual grandfather to the vineyard because Foursquare kind of gave way to the Calvary Chapel Church, which then gave way to the Vineyard Church, and by gave way, I mean birthed and sent out um, kind of thing, but an interesting connection there. But um, then uh, after, after being there for as long as I was, I took a year and I was in Lexington. And um, to make a long story short, I wasn't going to church for a while. And it was a rough year of my own making. And uh, the Lord really kind of stitched me up and nursed me back to health in this old school Presbyterian church, second Presbyterian church in downtown Lexington. Now, this was in the year 2015. At the time, I was a 25-year-old young man with tattoos in a church full of um, pretty straight-laced 50, 60, 70-year-old people. Okay, so I was an outlier, but like in a good way. They like took me in and, and really took care of me, and it was great. And then I made my way to a large church in Lexington, a non-denominational church, and then one thing led to another. And after getting married, we found our way here. And I'll tell you that other story a different time. But we're here at the vineyard now, and, and I'm not just saying it because I'm here, but vineyard people are my kind of people. You are my kind of people, and when we go to the vineyard conferences and, and whatnot, and we talk to vineyard people around the world, really, it's like vineyard are my people. There's just something about it. I don't really know how to describe it, but I, I just love it to be a part of the vineyard. But it's funny and fascinating to me as I think about how we're all working from the same source material, right? And yet somehow the expression of our faith looks so different. The, the, the nature of our services can look 
so very different. Okay, if you just Google sometime, what are the blank known for? Baptists, Methodists, Mennonites, Presbyterians. Uh, what are the Disciples of Christ known for? Church of Christ. On down the line, whatever you want, you'll find different things. And you'll find like our, our, our Baptist brothers and sisters place a really high emphasis on Scripture. And good preaching and teaching and accurate preaching and teaching are very important to them. The Presbyterians are really big on like the holiness and the sovereignty of God. The, the, the Methodists and the Mennonites are a little bit close, I think. I don't know. Someone who's from a Mennonite background could probably correct me, and they might do so at lunch today. But uh, they're, they're, they're high on the idea of what does it look like to live out our faith in, in, in justice, in service, in the world around us. And what's funny is I go down that list and I think to myself like, yeah, I'm about that. I'm all about really good teaching and preaching. I'm all about the holiness and the sovereignty of God. And I think it's important that we live out our faith. So what's the difference? Or like when I was in, a, when I was in the Foursquare Church, people would ask, well, what's the Foursquare Church all about? It's like, we believe in the Foursquare Gospel. Jesus is the Savior. He's the healer. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And he's the soon coming king. And it's like, I still believe all that stuff. It's not that it was like this hugely distinct difference in belief. So does that mean that I'm foursquare? Does that mean I'm a Baptist? Does that mean I'm a Methodist? What, what does that make me? It's like, at the end of the day, I'm a Christian. And that's what we want to be is we want to be a Christian. See, we wind up drawing these little distinctions in the things that we believe and the expressions of our belief. But oftentimes they're, they're pretty petty, ultimately, or, or they're just minute. They're not issues of salvation, okay? At the end of the day, if, if you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father, if you believe that Jesus was real, he was born of a virgin, he, he lived a sinless life, he died in our place for our sins, he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is coming again, if that's what you believe, then personally, I don't really care what the rest of your service looks like, okay? That's the stuff that matters to me. Okay, some folks don't believe that women are allowed to preach or to pastor, okay? At the Vineyard, we happen to believe that, that they are. And, and the thing is, is that both camps have their beliefs, all right? You can, you can point to your scripture as to why, and I can point to my scripture as to why. It's like we can, we can disagree on this, but at the end of the day, I don't think that one of those camps is gonna be rotting in hell and the other one is gonna be inheriting the kingdom, okay? I don't think it is that level of an issue, or when you just think about the type of service we have. We're, we're not the type of church that's going to kick you out if you come in wearing a t-shirt, a pair of shorts, and even if you have a ball cap on your head, and even if you don't take that ball cap off while we're praying, okay? We're not going to find you and kick you out, okay? That's not the kind of people we are. Other churches, they're going to wear their Sunday best every single week. Best suit, best tie, button-up shirt, all the, kind of, all the kind of stuff, because it's their way of trying to express reverence to God. That's a good thing. Some of us want, want you to be comfortable. Others want you to be reverent. They're both good, okay? Neither one wins at the end of the day, okay? As long as we're not throwing rocks at folks, it's okay, okay? Sing hymns, sing modern worship music. Use instruments, don't use instruments. Take communion every single week. Take it on special occasion or at your own discretion. It's like these things aren't the most important things, okay? But I, I, I think that we get a little bit mean about some of these things. We get a little bit... In our, own, in our own camp or in our own clique about these sorts of things that are ultimately down to little issues. And I think that the church, the capital C church, not just us here in this room and in this building, but the church 
in our county, the church in our state, the church in our world could stand to be kinder to each other because the church is God's idea, it's Jesus's bride, and it's the Spirit's residence, okay? God mastermind the church. It has always been his design. It has always been his plan. And even from the Old Testament, there has always been a group of people. Okay, in the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel. But there has always been a group of people whose, whose role it was to be God's people in the world. To be distinct and looked different from the world. And now the, the, the mystery of the gospel, Paul would write later, is that the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, get grafted into the family. And now we're the church and we represent God to the world around us. Okay, so it's God's idea. He anticipated what it would look like. He anticipated its diversity and its difference. But he also anticipated its flaws. And so God is not panicked up on his throne when you, when you read about the latest and greatest moral failing. The latest and greatest pastor or preacher or teacher or televangelist or whoever who's done something and gotten caught and gotten busted. Okay, he's, he's not freaking out about that kind of stuff, and neither should we, okay? The church is Jesus's bride, and I believe, sincerely believe, that Jesus loves his church. I believe that Jesus loves us as his church. I believe that Jesus loves our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, who can be a little bit weird, okay? I believe that Jesus loves the, the, the people that we might refer to as being a little bit more stiff in their expression of worship. When you go into church and it just feels kind of boring or a little bit dull, I believe Jesus loves those people, Okay, and if I can go here, I believe Jesus loves the people who take what Jesus said about being able to touch snakes and not be harmed, and be, they, they take it a little bit too literally, okay, and they think we need to get the snakes out in church to, to prove that we're God's people. It's like, we don't need to do that, all right? But I believe Jesus loves his church. He paid a high price for his church. He paid a high price for you and for me to be grafted into the family of God, and therefore he loves it. And I also believe that the spirit resides in the church, okay? I, I suppose on, on some level, I don't like the distinction of when you hear people talk about like, oh, well, we're a spirit-filled church. It's like, listen, the church is full of the spirit, period. Okay, if we take Ephesians 1.13 seriously, that, that, that at the moment that we believed we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, then we're already a spirit-filled church. The difference then becomes, are we led by the spirit? Do we, do we live in an awareness of the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he wants to do in our lives, and what he wants to do in and around our community? Okay, in the, in the book of Revelation, John has a vision. And in that vision, there is a great multitude from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue worshiping God. Okay, so the church was always going to be diverse. But I'm not just talking racially and culturally and ethnically, okay? Those are, those are baked into the cake too. But it's going to be diverse in a lot of ways because people are just diverse in a lot of ways, okay? I was thinking about this, and, and to illustrate it, I'm thinking about my own family, okay? I'm one of four siblings, and my parents are together, so there's six of us in a family, okay? Just taking what we do for a living, just taking our vocations, Okay, both of my parents are retired, but my dad was a like an electronic technician. Uh, he was a field service technician for Honeywell for a long time. Uh, my mom worked in a dentist office. She was a postal worker. Uh, my my brother works security. 
Uh, my sister is a cosmetologist and she's, she's got her own salon. My other sister is a procurement buyer for a large company. And here I am in ministry. And before that, I was in the banking world. And before that, I was in the coffee world. Okay, what we have done for a living has not had a lot of overlap. There's difference even in our family. Okay, not to mention our interests, our values, our hobbies, our political beliefs and the way we hold them, all those kind of things. Okay, we may like movies, but do you like the same kinds of movies? Do you like the same movies? We may like sports, but do you like the same sports? Do you like the same team in the same sport? It's like there's no shortage of ways where we can be different from each other. People are different even in a family, let alone in the family of God, which spans time and culture and language and, and, and everything else. Differences are necessary, but our differences should not divide us. And I realize that as I say that, that might be a little bit ideological to you. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, great. You're young and you're, you know, full of ideas and all that kind of stuff. I realize that as long as sin is in the world, we're going to fall short of, 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 of being totally unified. Okay. I recognize that. Okay. But, but, but the thing is, is I want to invite you and I want to do this myself to aspire to unity, to aim for that. And then hopefully along the way, we'll get close enough and, 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 and please God out of that. So that being said, I want to get to the text that I want to work out of today. I want to go to Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, I want to invite you to get that out and you can read along. If you don't have those, that is okay because we always like to put it up on the screen just so that you can follow along with us. But Romans 12, 9 through 18, depending on your Bible, there might be one of those subheadings over it. And again, depending on which one, mine happens to say, marks of the true Christian. In other words, if we want to do this Jesus thing, if we want to be the real deal as the church, this is the kind of stuff that we want to do. These are the kind of people that we want to be. So let's read it. Romans 12, 9 through 18. Let love be genuine. <clears throat> Abhor, or some translations will say hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, and do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Okay, now as we read that, it's worth noting that Paul is talking about two groups of people. And there is overlap in the group. It's one of those like all, all these are this, but not all this are these if you can track with that, okay? Paul talks about one another, okay? And whenever Paul talks about one another, he's talking about the church. He's talking about each other. He's talking about you and I as, as, as part of the community here at Vineyard Community Church Richmond. But I also believe he's talking about us as a part of the church broadly, around the globe and around the country, okay? He's talking about one another. He's also talking about those and all. Okay, and that tends to be a much broader term referring to a much greater group of people. That implies a more comprehensive group. Those who persecute you could be non-believers. Heaven forbid it could also be a believer, though. 
Okay, <clears throat> Those who weep could be people outside of the church. We don't just reserve our mercy and our compassion for people inside of the church. Okay, Repay no one evil means no one. Okay, It's not that we follow this set of rules inside the church and we follow a different set of rules outside of it. Okay, When it says do what is honorable in the sight of all, it means do what is honorable in the sight of all. Okay, Again, not a, not a difference in how we behave within the church and how we behave outside of it. So, as Christian people, okay, we have a big task on our hands. We have standards that we want to live up to within the church, without of the church. Okay? So for our purposes today, because we could spend a whole lot of time on this passage, break down each command, spend a lot of time on each particular command, I just want to focus a little bit, take a more bird's eye view of some of our responsibility to one another, to each other. Okay? So first things first, if you're taking notes, number one, the church should honor each other. Not only does Paul charge his readers in Rome to honor each other, but to outdo each other in showing honor. And I wonder, and again, I'm just wondering, okay, if we've lost this just a little bit in our day and age with all the, all the organizational stuff that has to happen with church. Because we're over here, we're in the mall, we're Vineyard Community Church Richmond, we've got our own staff, we've got our own building, we've got our own 501c3 status and all that kind of stuff. And we're over here. And down the road, there's another church with another staff and another 501c3 status and another building, okay? And, and I, for some reason, that just seems to make it harder to celebrate what's going on in other churches. It makes it harder to celebrate what God is doing in our community because it's like, well, God is doing this with these people, but God is not doing this with these people or whatever it is. Or, or if I were to celebrate and stand up here and tell you all these great things that happen in ABC Church, okay, does that mean that I'm endorsing that church and I'm telling you you should go to that church instead of coming here? It's like there's way too much baggage associated with that kind of thing. And I have to confess that as I was writing this, I, I found myself wondering, am I thinking too broadly? Am I overthinking this? Okay, because, you know, I, I, I'm here on staff and I'm in the church bubble, probably more so than you are. And that's a good thing for you, honestly, because I'm too in a bubble sometimes. Okay, but... <clears throat> Am I, am I thinking about it too much from that perspective? But then I wonder if, if Paul was writing to Richmond, Kentucky, if we had Paul's letter to the, to the church in Richmond, would he be talking to this church in Richmond or would he be talking to the church in Richmond? And I fully believe he would be talking to the church in Richmond. And so we want to honor each other. As, as a church community in Richmond, Kentucky, we want to honor each other and what God is doing. Now, honor means to, the word, if you look at it, means to put a high price on or to treat with great respect. Or you can put those together, I believe, and that's still accurate. We want to treat things as if its price was high. Think about it like this. Do you ever get like a new phone and like for the first, I don't know, two or three weeks, you've got your new phone and you're just setting it down gently anywhere you go. You're going to set it gently on the table. You're going to set it gently uh, on your nightstand next to your bed. You're going to set it gently in the console in your car. Uh, you're just going to treat it well or treat it right. Or if you get a new car and you know it, it, it's, it's new, it's in good condition, and you're like, all right, I'm going to keep this thing cleaned up. I'm going to buy those wipes and keep my display looking good and vacuum it out every so often and wash it outside and keep it filled up. I'm going to do all the maintenance, all that kind of stuff, right? Because it's new and it, you paid a lot for it and it's valuable to you. Okay, well, that's the church. That is the church to God. The church is not cheap. 
The church is not old. The church is not worn out. And the church is not worth neglecting. So that's how we want to treat each other inside these walls and outside of these walls. Now, of course, that brings up a question. Okay, if we want to keep following that line of thought. Does honoring mean that we just have to accept anything and everything from anyone? Okay, even if we have significant theological differences, even if they do something that we don't approve of, do we have to just take that and accept it? I think there's a clue for us in the text of how we want to deal with that. Okay, in verse 9, Paul says, let love be genuine. In other words, mean it. Don't fake loving your, your fellow man. Don't fake loving your, your fellow Christian. But then he goes on to say, we want to abhor or hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, please do yourself a favor and notice that Paul says what. Paul does not say who. Okay? We want to hate what is evil and we want to hold fast to what is good. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, is any, anybody familiar with that podcast series that came out a couple years ago? It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you've, if you've heard of it, great. You know what I'm talking about. If not, I would, I would describe it all. But long story short, there is a pastor uh, named Mark Driscoll. He was pastoring in Seattle, Washington at the time. He is now pastoring in Scottsdale, Arizona, so he's still at it. Um, <clears throat> but there was a... a, a no shortage of controversy surrounding his ministry for things like spiritual abuse and, and, and whatnot, okay? And, and as a consequence, just as the, the title of the podcast says, it was the rise and it was the fall of Mars Hill as a church. Now, when I was um, discerning the call into ministry and when I was a young Christian and I was growing up, Mark Driscoll's ministry meant a lot to me. It really did. I appreciated the way he taught and preached. I appreciated his simple approach. He was kind of blunt. He was a little bit abrasive. And it's like, that's kind of refreshing in a certain way. He's not like sanitized Christianity. And I appreciated that. Now, when everything went down, you can throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I don't think that's the, that's the thing to do. I still think there are elements of that ministry that you can still celebrate and celebrate what God did in people's lives, okay? Because just because a vessel is broken doesn't mean that what's inside the vessel is, okay? And so we want to bear that in mind as we're thinking about what this means. So if a church is preaching Christ, if the church is preaching him crucified and resurrected, then I can get behind the message, even if I can't get behind the practices, I can get behind the message. I want to abhor what is evil. I want to cling to what is good. Okay, maybe a church doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe they don't believe in tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge. Maybe they don't believe that, that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. We call that cessationism, if you ever hear that term. Okay, that at some point the gifts ceased being in, in activity. Okay, is, is differing on that really worth bashing somebody over? If I believe in it and you don't, personally, I don't, I don't think so. My, my approach to it is if you don't believe that that's still for today, I just wonder what you're expecting from God. Okay, I, I really do. I'm not like saying that in like a gotcha kind of way. It's like if we just show up to church and we sing songs to feel good about ourselves and we hear some good teaching for 30, 40 minutes or whatever it is, and then we just go on about the rest of our week because I've ticked off the, 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 the church box now, that's like... That doesn't seem like what God has in mind for us. That seems very, very limited to what God wants to do in our lives. Or maybe on the other hand, you have another church or a group of people, and they're just obsessed with the Holy Spirit. They won't stop talking about all the things. They won't stop prophesying, even if they're wrong. Like, they're, they're just obsessed with it. 
As long as the message is good, as long as they still believe Jesus was crucified and rose again for our sins, and as long as they're not adding to the gospel, okay, as long as they're not saying, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. If you don't get healed, it means that God doesn't love you and God doesn't care about you and you're outside of, of you know, his, his love for you. As long as we're not adding stuff to the gospel, because that is like a cursable offense, according to Paul, then I'm good with it. Now, what if a church is doing something that I disagree with? What if their model for church growth is just to, to take people from other churches and find ways to incentivize them to go to their church instead? Or what if, they, uh, what if they gossip? What if they just spend time bad-mouthing other people and bad-mouthing other churches and, and picketing and being hateful and all that kind of stuff? Or what if their motives are bad? What if they you know, are in it for the money, which is always kind of funny to me to think about, like, oh, I'm going into ministry for the money. It's like, okay. Um, anyway, that being said, um, without going all the way down the rabbit hole, here's a general rule of thumb that I want to give to you. We don't want to become what we're complaining about. You don't want to become what you're complaining about, okay? So if a church is stealing other sheep, we don't steal their sheep to pay them back, okay? If a church is spreading rumors, or someone, sorry, let me not say the church. If someone is spreading gossip, the response is not to start gossip back at them. If it's throwing rocks, if somebody's throwing rocks in your, in your opinion and being too harsh and too judgmental, the, the goal and the response is not to throw rocks back at them. Or if someone is greedy, we don't want to be greedy in return and withhold from them. If we want to be the church, we want to come away from the eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth tactics that are so ingrained in our humanity and in our flesh. Okay, If something or if someone is bothering you, do better by being better by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Okay, That was way too long on point number one. Let's move this along. Point number two. The church should heal together. Okay, contribute to the needs of the saints, Paul says. And the word for needs that Paul uses there is the, is the word krya. I'm gonna, I can't make that CH sound this morning, krya. It refers to physical needs, and it also refers to less tangible, more relational kind of needs. It's the word uh, that, that, that was used when Jesus said he needs the donkey when he's doing the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's also the word that the high priest used when he said that Jesus is blasphemed. What more do we need? Well, sorry, what more need do we have for a witness? It's needs like transportation, needs like vouching for someone, needs like food, needs like needing a doctor. All of these are among the ways that that word for need is used. As a church, we need each other. And sometimes we do this really, really well. When there's a surgery, when there's a baby, when there's a death in the family, we have ways of coming together and we bring food and we pray for each other and we mow the lawn when you're incapacitated, all these kind of things. We find ways to show up when there is a need. But sometimes we, we limit our scope of need. Okay, What about when we need a little bit of help because we're hurting and the hurting was our own fault? We did something bad, we did something wrong, and we're suffering for it. What do we do then? According to Johns Hopkins, and I'm, I'm willing to be fact-checked on this, but I think this is right, because I think John, Johns Hopkins knows what they're talking about. But when you sustain an injury, your blood, or sorry, your body sends blood to the wound. It does not withhold blood from the wound. It sends it specifically to it. Your body knows what the need is and where the need is, and it sends blood there to help the healing process. 
The blood goes there and it clots up to stop the bleeding. And as the clot dries, it forms a scab. And as that, as that happens, there's a protein called fibrin or fibrin or however you pronounce that, F-I-B-R-I-N. And it forms a net of sorts so that it sticks and doesn't allow more blood to come out or anything else to get in. Okay. What about us? When somebody is hurting in that kind of way in our community, what's our response to them? Do we cast them out and leave them to, to deal with stuff all on their own? Or do we, like your own body is smart enough to do, and we are the body of Christ, do we go to the need? This is what Paul told the Galatians. Galatians 6.1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person and do so gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Sometimes sin is like a landmine, and it just blows up in our face. And you might have stepped on a dummy a time or two. You're, you're trying to navigate the minefield, and you step, and it just blows up in your face, and your life goes crash. But who of us has ever seen a war movie or heard a war story where somebody steps on a mine, and it's like, sorry, dude, you can go take care of yourself. It's not my fault you stepped on a mine. It's like, no, they will do what it takes to get their friend and, and help and get them the help that they Need. And so as a church, we want to draw near to each other. We want to go to the place of need, whether that's spiritual, physical, mental, or emotional. We draw near to the need. And finally, the church should harmonize together. Paul says we want to live in harmony. And someone in, someone in Vineyard USA uh, always uses this word rhyming when he's talking about the idea that you want to resemble the past in some way, but recognizing the fact that time moves on and culture moves on, and so things have to be different. So we want to rhyme. How do we resemble the past in one way or another? Which got me thinking, of course, about rhyming. And um, when I was new to the church, when my, my way of trying to... Uh, introduced myself, I guess, was to say, hey, you know how Pastor Joe writes all those poems on Facebook and checks in at Purdy's and their stupid poems about coffee and stuff like that? It's like, I was the other guy. I was the guy he was writing the poetry with. So I, I might know a thing or two about rhyming. I'm not like the greatest at it. But the thing about rhyming is that to some extent, it's forced, okay? If you are trying to rhyme, you are trying to rhyme, okay? If you start a poem with the line, I think that I'll write a poem today, and you've already locked yourself into a limited number of words that you can use for the end of the next sentence. You've limited yourself in the meter that you need to use and the number of syllables you have in that line. Okay? So if I say, I'll, I think I'll write a poem today, then I need an A sound. And there's still plenty of options, but they're limited. I could, I could use say, I could use hooray, I could use may, bay, decay, Filet, not Chick-fil-A, they're closed today, okay? I could use tray, sorbet, entree. I was really thinking about food when I was writing this. I was, I was a little bit hungry. But you've got a, a certain sound that you have to end with. Now, of course, even a sentence ending with the word say is going to take your, your poem in a whole different direction than the word filet because say is a verb and it talks about talking. Filet is talking about food. It's a noun, okay? On and on and on down the line. And it's the same thing with harmony. Paul tells the Romans to live in harmony with one another. And with harmony, there are only so many options. Let me show you, if I may. I'm going to make my way back to this yonder keyboard. And the keyboard, if you don't know, has 88 keys on it, <clears throat> representing 12 different notes and up to seven different octaves. Okay? If you take any one of those notes, 
For our purposes today, I'm going to do C because C is nice and easy. Okay? That is what a C sounds like. Okay? There's like really low C and then a little bit further up and on and on down the line. Okay? There's lots of different C's. Okay? Now, without getting like way, way, way down into the weeds of how it works, there are certain sounds out of the 12 notes, there are, if I'm doing my math right, eight other notes that will work with C. Three don't. Okay? So a C can work with an E and a G to make a C chord. It can also make an A minor, F, it can even be a G sharp major, C minor, any and all of those things. C can work with any number of those different notes. Now, the three that it doesn't work with are F sharp. You don't like the sound of that, right? Doesn't sound good. You're kind of dying for me to do this or this. Okay, but that is called a tritone. It does not work. It does not sound good. But also the two notes surrounding it on either side don't sound very good. So if you play a C with a C sharp, it sounds like that. Not a fan. Or a C with a B. Not a fan. Okay? We call that dissonance, and it's the opposite of harmony. Now, for our purposes, dissonance is stuff like gossip. Dissonance is stuff like slander. Dissonance is stuff like excluding people on purpose. Okay, dissonance is stuff like arguing about things that don't matter. It's things like insulting. It's things like throwing rocks and judging people. It's things like hate. That does not create harmony. It does not encourage harmony. Dissonance is bad, but different is not necessarily bad. Okay, as we think about all the ways that we can be different, Okay, in culture, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever it is, those can make a chord. Those can work together. In our tradition, Baptist, Vineyard, Methodist, Foursquare, Mennonite, whatever background you come from, they can work together because we're preaching the same message. Your opinions can even work together and make a chord. You're the stages of your life that you're in or you're, you're where you are in life, okay? Whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, whether you're a daughter or a son, whether you're single or married, whether you're a college student, high school student, younger than that even, or adult or whatever you are, your professions, interests, all these kind of things, they can work together and create harmony. It's up to us. It's up to us if we're going to let the dissonance in or not. Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that's what we want to aspire to as a body of Christ. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to invite you. We're going to sing one final song as we usually do around here. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand up to your feet. Whenever you're crafting one of these and you're trying to figure out um, what you feel like God is saying and uh, and whatnot. Here at this church, we have ministry time. We want to create the opportunity for you to receive prayer for whatever's going on. And a lot of times it has to do directly with the message. And um, I'm just going to, at risk of doing this, I'm just going to leave it a little more broad, a little more open. But I, as, as we were in worship, I found myself coming back to that second point, the idea of the church heals together. We contribute to the needs of the saints. And so what I want to encourage you for, I'm not going to do like the three different categories right now. I'm just going to do one broad category. If you need healing in your life, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer. And how we do it is you come up, you take the step, you be a little bit courageous, get out of your comfort zone a little bit, and you come up 
and you come somewhere around here. And what I want to encourage you to do is if you come up to receive prayer and somebody offers to pray for you and says, how can I pray for you? Just tell them what it is that's going on. You can be a little bit vague if you need to, but just what it is that you want healing for. Is there something going on in your marriage? Is there something going on in your spiritual life? Is there an addiction that you're struggling with? Is there something going on in your body? Is there a a, a diagnosis you're looking at? Is there a, a surgery that you're anticipating? Whatever that is, if you need healing of any sort, relationally, with a friend, with a family member, if you need healing in your relationship to God, if you feel like God is just done with you and there is no way that he could ever love me again, there's no way that he could ever use me again, listen, Jesus paid a high price for his church. And as we sometimes say, Jesus paid it all so that you could be a part of the family. So if you're here and you're, you, you, you can't point to a time in your life where you have said to Jesus, listen, Jesus, I surrender. I'm done doing my own thing. I want to do what you want me to do. If you can't point to the time in your life, but you want to do that today, I want to invite you to come up and we want to pray with you and we want to pray for you because God has made a way for you to be a part of the family of God as well. So if you need healing in any way, I'm not going to prolong the point, but if you need healing in any way, I want to invite you and encourage you to come up, to take a step, to come up here and then the prayer people know what to do. They know to look for you and they want to pray for you. That's good. In the meantime, and you can come up anytime while I pray or um, while we're singing a song. In the meantime, I just want to pray, but I want to pray broadly and generally. I want to pray for us as a church that this is what we would be. And I want to pray for us as a church in Madison County that we would be united and moving the kingdom of God forward. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Jesus, we want to thank you for the high price that you paid for your church. We want to thank you that the mystery of the gospel is that we get to be grafted in as the people of God, that we get to enjoy all the benefits of being sons and daughters of God. And Lord, you have given us a high standard to live to, and that's what we want to aspire to. God, we want to be a people that honors each other. We want to be a people that heals together, that doesn't cast out people that are hurting and broken and in need of a little grace and a little bit of help. And God, we want to be a church that harmonizes together. We can be different. We can have different interests. We can come from different backgrounds. We can have different things that we prefer. But at the end of the day, God, we just do not want to be a dissonant sound in your ears. We want to be harmonious with each other. We want our lives to be lives that make you pleased. So God, that's my prayer for us as a church. God, and I want to pray for the churches in Madison County. Father, I want to honor what they're doing. God, as they preach the gospel, as they preach Jesus who lived a perfect and sinless life, as they preach Jesus who was crucified in our place and for our sins, as they preach Jesus being resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as they preach Jesus coming again to make all things new, I want to honor them. And God, I just want to ask that you would bring people to their church. God, there is so many people in this county 
that don't know who you are, that don't have an active relationship with you, that, that could stand to have some grace. And I just pray, God, that whatever church it is in town, whether it's White Oak Pond, whether it's First Baptist, whether it's Emmanuel, whether it's Covenant, whether it's Eastside, South, and whoever it is, God, that you would bring lost people in the doors of churches, that they could hear the gospel and that their lives would be changed and transformed by the gospel. That hope would shine bright in Madison County, but the hope that we have is specifically in Jesus Christ. God, move your kingdom forward by the power of your Holy Spirit. Unite us as a church, as your church in Madison County to spread the gospel, to meet the needs of our community, whether they're spiritual, physical, mental, or emotional, or whatever other types that I'm, I'm leaving out, Lord. Unite us as a church to move the kingdom of God forward. We just want to surrender to you. We're here for you to use. We are your vessels of your gospel message. And we invite you to do what you want to do. We pray this all in Jesus' holy, mighty, and precious, and powerful name. Amen.